Amen. That's a good song for Memorial Day. Remembering the ultimate death, the one uh, who died so that we all can be saved. You know, we're going to be in the book of Genesis this morning. The book of Genesis chapter 40 is where we are going to be. Genesis and chapter 40. Good to see you all out this morning. You know, as we consider the holiday that Americans will be celebrating tomorrow, I'm reminded of many things. First, I'm reminded that we live in a great country whose history is scattered with heroes who paid the ultimate price for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm reminded of a very young man who got caught while spying on the British Army and declared that his great regret was that he had only one life to give for his country. And then he willingly gave that life. We could give the testimony of many others who went to war to fight on behalf of this beloved country. Many others who went to war to fight and never came back. Many whose blood was spilled and eventually soaked up by the soil in which they rested. From the revolution here on our own shores to the blood-soaked islands of Corregidor. From the soldiers who headed to Vietnam to the frontline workers who rushed the Twin Towers some of whom would never be heard from again. God forbid that we would ever live in a country filled with schools that no longer take the time to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, lest we forget the sacrifices made for that flag. Memorial Day is kind of like Thanksgiving. It's a day which we remember with grateful hearts and attitudes all those who died to help keep us safe and to help keep us free. I believe this year we should extend Memorial Day not only to our fallen soldiers, but perhaps even to the many police officers who, through the course of this last year, have given their lives as politicians have become less supportive of the men in blue, causing criminals to be more calloused. In the period from January 1st of 2021 to September 1st, 2021, There was a 51% increase in the number of police officers killed from the same period in the previous year. Tell me that the support of the politicians don't have a part in that. Let's not forget our doctors, nurses, and other health care workers who over the last two years found themselves in in the front line of another war that raged as they exposed themselves with uh, some succumbing and giving their lives during this pandemic. Now, we need to understand that remembering is one of the Bible's great commandments. We are to remember. We are to honor. God believes in memorials, and I believe God believes in Memorial Day. Forgetting is one of the Bible's off-named sins. The command to remember, Exodus chapter 13, verse number 3, says that Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which he came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And we need to remember the day that God brought us out of bondage. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, You ought to mark that day in which you accepted Christ as your Savior. One of my great regrets as a Christian is that when I accepted Christ as my Savior, no one told me, you need to mark that day. You need to put it in your Bible. You need to put it on your calendar. Of course, I was only seven, almost eight years old. I know the approximate 
time of year, but I don't have the exact date. I always tell people that I lead to the Lord. You write this date in your Bible. You write this date on your calendar. It's, it's even more important than your physical birthday. This is your spiritual birthday. This is the day that God brought you out of bondage. And I think we ought to remember, if you don't have such a birthday, Jesus says this, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I would urge you this morning, I would encourage you, I would beg you, Boy, before you leave here, accept Christ as your personal Savior. Have a spiritual birthday today. And as the, as the children of Israel were told, remember this day that you are brought out of bondage. Remember the day that you are saved from your sins. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 18, when God told the children of Israel that they were to go into the promised land and drive out all the heathen, God said this, Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. So they are encouraged again, remember what God has done for you. Also, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 2, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee. You know, Memorial Day is a day in which we ought to be humbled. We ought to be humbled by the fact that we have heroes who gave their lives willingly so we could be here today worshiping in the open without being afraid of being arrested. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 18. I'm sorry, First Chronicles chapter 16. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 12. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Remember one of the reasons we have such a hard time giving God our lives is because we so easily forget. We become so self-absorbed that we forget. Psalm 20, verse number 7, the Bible says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. That ought to be a daily remembrance. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. But we have this mindset that, you know, I've got lots of time, and we waste our youth giving it to the devil, and then we repent when we're older. God says that it ought to be the other way. We need to give our youth to God. Remember God in the days of thy youth. In Mark chapter 8, getting into the New Testament. Mark chapter 8, verse number 18. There's this challenge. Having eyes, see ye not? Having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? God wants us to remember and then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 8. Remember that Jesus Christ to the seed of David was raised from the dead according to the gospel. That's why we're here this morning, the first day of the week. Jesus was raised from the dead. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, and we ought to observe it, and we ought to remember it. Jesus died for our sins 
was buried, and every Sunday we come together as a congregation because he rose again the first day. Let's not forget, because not only are we commanded to remember, but the Bible says it's a sin to forget. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 9, the Bible says, And when they forget the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sesera, captain of the host of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. But it says, when they forget the Lord, their God. Do you know who we have to blame for the, uh, the fact that our country is spiraling out of control? The church. Because the church has forgotten God. Saved people who claim to be Christians, people who have accepted Christ as their Savior, have forgotten the Lord their God. So as a result, God is bringing the enemies from within and from without. We know this, however, that if God's people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, God will heal their land. But we got to quit forgetting. Psalm 106, verse 13 says, They soon forget his works. They waited not for his counsel. Psalm 106, 21, They forget God their Savior, which had done great things for them. In our text this morning, Genesis chapter 40, Genesis chapter 40, in our text this morning, we read about a man who forgot or who forgot. So if you have your Bibles and you're in Genesis chapter 40, let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word this morning. We're going to read verse number 23, Genesis chapter 1 and in verse number 23. I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, The Sin of not remembering. Genesis chapter 41, verse number 20. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 40, verse number 23. Let's get that straight. Genesis 40, verse 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. The sin of not remembering. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us. And Lord, I know that often we don't show it. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, every single one of us. Lord God, cause us to be burdened by this holiday that we celebrate. A holiday in which we celebrate men who died for us. And Lord God, may we not forget the God who died for us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as personal Savior, cause them to see their need this morning. And Lord, we're so grateful for all that you've done. May we not walk out of here the same way in which we came in this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. As I said in our text this morning, we read about a man who forgot. It's the last thing that is said about him, that he forget him. He would admit two years later that his lack of memorial was in fact due to ingratitude and was in fact sin. We can come up with all the excuses that we want. Well, I was just, I, I just got too busy. I just don't have the time. 
But here's a man who forgot, and later on, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 41, verse number 9, uh, that he says, I do remember my faults this day. The fault was that I allowed myself to get so busy that I forgot. And so, this man was the butler to Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, This butler had been thrown in prison, and the man he forgot was a fellow prisoner who had not only helped the butler out in a tremendous way, but also had no business being in prison himself. He was innocent. His name was Joseph. This prisoner had been sold into slavery by his abusive brothers in another country. He had been sold to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites took Joseph and took him down to Egypt where they thought they could get the best price for him. And they sold him to an Egyptian officer whose name was Potiphar. And then, of course, Joseph went and he worked for Potiphar as a servant, as a slave. But he did such a good job, it wasn't long before Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. But Potiphar had a wife. And his wife had an eye for Joseph. And the Bible tells us that Potiphar's wife one day caught Joseph when he was alone and tried to seduce him. He refused, on the other hand, ran out of the house, left his coat, and then she cried that he tried to rape her. And she cried loud enough that Joseph ended up in prison as an innocent man. While there, Joseph was a model prisoner, even serving and eventually serving the butler of the king or the butler of Pharaoh. I want to break up our story this morning into four parts. The sin of not remembering. And the first part, number one, is the crisis this morning. I want us to look at the crisis that this butler butler, uh, here encounters. First of all, this butler was thrown into prison because of an offense. And we can read about that offense in Genesis chapter 40 and in verse number 1. Genesis chapter 40 and in verse number 1. Joseph has already been thrown in prison. But in Genesis chapter 40 verse number 1, the Bible says it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. The Bible says that the butler had offended the king and the baker also. Now, exactly what this offense was, we do not know, but it likely had something to do with food. You see, the butler in Egypt was also called the cupbearer in other cultures. This meant it was his job to make sure that Pharaoh was not poisoned or was not serve anything that would harm him. Now, the butlers, when we think of butlers, we don't think of a high official. But I want to tell you something that in Egypt, the butler was a highly ranked official. He was well entrusted by the Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, he might have been the most trusted person in all by Pharaoh. Here recently, we have actually dug up some 
tombs that are called Pharaoh's butler's tombs. And these tombs rival only the Pharaoh's. And so we know that the butler was a high-ranking official. He was very close to the Pharaoh and that Pharaoh trusted him. Now, as far as the baker goes, when we think of a baker, obviously we think of someone in in a cake shop or a donut shop. We think of pastries. We think of pies. But the baker was more than that. He was the chief chef. So everything that was made for Pharaoh, the, the, the chief baker would oversee. Which leads us to believe that maybe the Pharaoh experienced, maybe he experienced a night of heartburn. The next day he woke up and he thought, I don't know what that baker made for me and I don't know what that butler served me, but it kept me up all night. We know some of these guys were kind of bipolar. You just never knew when they had all this power. You never knew what kind of a mood they were going to wake up in. And, and, and one day you might be their best friend. And the next day, if they had heartburn all night, you might be their worst enemy. And it might very well be that the Pharaoh had heartburn all night. He was up all night pacing the floor. Oh, man, this is just killing me. And the next morning he said, I want to see the baker and I want to see the butler. And he asked them, what did you guys serve me? And when they said, hey, we just served you normal food, he said, well, go take some time out and think about it. And he put him in prison. But more likely, as I, as I read all this, more likely what may have happened is the baker and the butler knew each other very well. And, and the baker had been the baker or the, the chef had been the chef for a long time. It could be that the butler got a little bit lazy and the chef decided, I'm going to try to poison Pharaoh. It might have been food poisoning. We don't know. We just know that it was offensive enough that the Pharaoh took two of his highest officers and threw them in prison. There may have been an investigation. And in the investigation, Pharaoh found out the butler was innocent but the baker may very well have been in on it because the, but, the baker ends up dying. The butler ends up getting back to his, his office. And so we really don't know. Uh, and apparently God didn't think that it was necessary for us to know because he didn't put that in the notes. We just know the Pharaoh was offended and these two men's lives were in jeopardy and they were placed there in the prison. But while they were in prison, the Bible says that both the baker and the butler had a dream. And this dream bothered them. Matter of fact, it bothered them so much that one day Joseph, who, uh, who, who was serving them there in the prison, came to them and saw that their faces were white as sheets. And he asked them, what, what, what troubles you? What's wrong with you? And so they told them, we have, both of us have had a dream. The Bible tells us that the butler told him about a dream. And the message of the dream was delivered uh, by, by a man of God. And so because the word of God was not complete in the days of Joseph, dreams were sometimes messages from God himself. And today we have God's word to lead us and to guide us. Aren't you glad that... Your dreams really don't mean anything today. Boy, some of the crazy dreams that I've had, I'm so glad they don't mean anything. Sometimes we'll, 
will we'll, we'll dwell on these dreams and think, man, what is that telling me? Think the Lord, it, it doesn't mean anything today. It's just sometimes it's what's on your mind and sometimes it's what Satan puts on your mind while you're asleep. But thank the Lord, they don't have meanings today like they used to. Uh, if a dream ever, a dream will never supersede the word of God anyway. But in those days, God sometimes would speak to people in dreams. And they said, man, we have had a dream. The butler said, Joseph, I've had a dream and it's just bothered me. I don't know what this dream means. And so Joseph said, well, you know that interpretations belong to God. Try, try me. Tell me the dream. And so then Joseph was given the message regarding this dream. The message was true, for God's word is true. In Genesis chapter 40 and in verse number 9, the Bible says this, The chief butler told his dream to Joseph. He said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. And it was as though it had budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Now Joseph said unto him, well, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. Thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. Well, what an easy message to give. Why, Joseph is, receives the dream, and God tells, to, God tells Joseph, well, this is the message I want you to give the butler. And Joseph, I'm sure, said, man, I will gladly give that message to the butler. And the butler receives this great message of hope. You've got three days left. Pharaoh's going to come in here. He's going to be sorry that he put you in here. He's going to restore you to your former glory, and you're going to be the butler once again. Can I just say those are easy messages to preach. Those are easy messages to give. I love preaching to saved people and telling saved people, man, this world is not our home. We're just passing through because our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I love preaching those messages. Crisis averted. The second part of our message this morning, however, brings us to the commitment. So, first of all, the crisis. Number two, I want you to look at the commitment. The commitment. First off, let's look at the commitment of this messenger. Joseph was just given a dream from the butler. And God tells Joseph, this is the meaning of the dream. And Joseph delivers that message. And what an easy message it is. There's hope for you. Three days you're going to be taken out of this prison. Three days and and your chains are going to be taken off. Three days and no more bondage. But because Joseph was an honest messenger who not only had the privilege of delivering the message of hope to the butler, he also had to deliver a message of condemnation to the baker. You see, the baker also had a dream, and it may very well be that the baker was guilty 
of the charge that was given him when he was put into prison. The wages of sin is death. And so in Genesis chapter 40, verse number 16, the chief baker said, well, I loved that message. Listen to my dream. And so the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good. Well, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket were, was all, there was all, of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, well, this is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Well, so far, so good. It sounds an awful lot like the butler's dream. Yet, within three days, Pharaoh shall lift up thy head from off thee. Well, this isn't sounding good. He shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. About this time, someone would say, how in the world could you preach a message like that? That's such an inappropriate message. How could you preach something like that? Why, don't you know that we serve a God of love? Don't you know we serve a God of grace? Don't you know we serve a God of mercy? How dare you, Joseph? How dare you preach a message like that? No, how dare Joseph not preach the word of God, which not only includes heaven, but also is filled with an awful lot of hell. That not only is filled with the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, but I want to tell you something, this message is also filled with the wrath of God, the anger of God, and the hate of God. And how dare preachers not preach on hell. How dare preachers not preach against sin? How dare preachers only have the idea that when you come into this congregation, I want you to feel comfortable. Hey, do you think, it's, do you think it was comfortable for Joseph to preach this message? These were individuals he'd gotten close to. Individuals he obviously loved and individuals that had became very good friends of his. You know, some people want to shun preachers of God who preach the whole truth, for the whole truth not only includes a wonderful place called heaven, it also requires teaching on a terrible place called hell. Not only must a preacher preach on the love and grace and mercy of God, but he must also preach on God's wrath. Not only must a preacher preach on the things that God likes, the things that God loves, a preacher must also preach on the things that God hates. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse number 31, God says, Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination of the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. God does hate things. He hates false gods. He hates anything that is put in place of him. Deuteronomy 16, 22. 
Neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. You notice when you walk into a church like this one, you're not going to see statues of Jesus. You're not going to see pictures of Jesus. First of all, we don't know what Jesus looked like. And second, God hates images, graven images, any kind of image that would tempt us to bow down to it. Psalm 11, verse number 5. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. By the way, when the Bible's talking about violence, it's not just talking about what we do with our hands. It's talking about what we do with our hearts. Jesus said this, that if you hate a man, you've committed violence in your heart already. And God hates that. Psalm 11, verse, I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 2, verse number 16. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. That's just another word for divorce. Many things God hates. Proverbs 6, 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. By the way, the only thing worse than something that God hates is something that God considers an abomination. He hates these six things, but if you add the seventh, then they become an abomination to him. Listen to the list. Number one, God hates a proud look. He hates a proud look. Boy, pride is something that is taught today. Pride is something that we tell people, boy, you, you need to have pride. And the Bible says that God hates a proud look. He hates a lying tongue. By the way, how many in here have never lied? Never? Boy, I'm so glad you're honest. Because I'd have called you a liar. God hates a lying tongue. Don't we all have proud looks? Don't we all have lying tongues? I never realized that when my parents told me what to do or when my mom would drone on and give me the same lecture over and over and over again. You know, only a mom can come up with 550 ways of saying the same thing over and over and over again. And I can remember about the 520th, I'd be rolling my eyes. And then pretty soon, don't you roll your eyes at me. You do realize that's a proud look. The rolling of the eyes. A proud look. We've all done it. Some of you are doing it right now. Man, I just wish the pastor would just end this thing already. I'm smelling the potluck back there. Some of us are rolling our eyes right now. God hates a proud look. He hates a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. You know, as I was reading this list, I was thinking how I've done pretty much every single one of these things. I was thinking how my brother and I, devising wicked imaginations, we'd lay in bed, we shared a room when we were kids. And we would just devise wicked things at night. Things we weren't supposed to do. 
We'd send each other out on these missions, even though mom and dad said, you're supposed to stay in bed, go to sleep. Well, you know, disobeying your parents is one of the things that God hates. But we would just devise things, and we'd dare each other. Go to the kitchen, get a piece of chocolate cake, and bring it back. We would go on these missions, and and, uh, every once in a while we'd get caught, and that was not fun. But the Bible says this, that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. We all devise wicked imaginations. Yet God hates it. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. You may I remember on the school ground. Fight! And what did everybody do? We all follow the leader. Let's head for the mischief. Let's run to the fight. God hates that. A false witness that speaketh lies. We've all done it. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. This is a list of seven things that God says is an abomination. You know, not one of them deal with homosexuality. Not one of them deal with fornication. They're all things that we all do regularly. God hates them. These are the things that condemn each and every one of us to an eternal hell. That's the message that God has for us. Not only did the messenger, Joseph, give the message of hope, he also gave a message of condemnation. Why, when the butler said, well, I like that message, here's my dream, Joseph says, well, I'm going to have to be honest for you because I'm committed as a, as a child of God, as a messenger of God. I've got to tell you the honest truth, and it's not good. It's not pleasant It's not going to make you feel good. It's not going to make me feel good. Thank God for committed messengers who preach not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. But then Joseph has this request, and he asks for the butler to commit to him. I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 40 and in verse number 15, Genesis chapter 40, Verse number 14, I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 40, verse number 14. Now, he's given this message of hope to the butler, and he says, you're going to be released in three days. You're going to be taken out of here. And verse number 14, he says, but think. That's another word for remember. Remember me when it shall be well with thee. Show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. Make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this place. Hey, you're a high-ranking officer. Pharaoh trusts you. He loves you. That's why he's coming back for you. I've just given you this message of hope. Would you please do this? One word, remember. Remember. Don't forget about me. And he says it three different ways. Think on me. Show kindness to me. He says, make mention of me and bring me out of this place. Verse number 15, he says, For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. Remember me. Well, 
it becomes obvious from the butler's reaction, even though the Bible doesn't tell us in chapter 40, but it does tell us in chapter 41, the butler made a commitment. How could I not remember you? I mean, you've given me this message of hope. How could I, how could I forget about you? Of course I'm going to remember you. And Joseph simply asked the butler, Will you make a commitment as I've made a commitment? And the butler says, absolutely yes. So we see that the crisis was averted. We see number two, the commitment. But number three, I want you to look now at the carelessness. The carelessness. You see, the butler said one thing and then did something else. This is like many Christians today who say, Oh, how I love Jesus. But when it comes time to show it, they just don't have time. You know, the butler, I'm sure, as soon as he was taken out, was busy. I mean, as soon as he was taken out, he was brought back to his office. You know, the first thing this butler had to do was find a new chef. And so there were... uh, There were applications to go through, resumes to consider, because that would have been his job. So now he's looking for a new chef. He's busy and he's stressed out because the Pharaoh says, I need a new chef. I need someone I can trust. I'm, I'm putting that on you. That's your job. So immediately he's got all this pressure on him. He's got this job and he's got this office. And immediately he becomes careless with his commitment to the man who had helped him while he was in prison. Is that not the same excuse Christians give? I'm so glad Jesus saved me. I'm so thrilled that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that I've accepted him as my Savior. Because of that, I'm on my way to heaven. When Jesus says, remember me, oh, but God knows my heart. I'm just so busy. I just have so many things to do. I mean, there's the job, and then there's playtime, and there's hobbies, and there's workouts, and there's this, and there's that. And and I know God understands. It's crazy. Many verbal commitments are made with people's lips, but not with their hearts. In Isaiah, Isaiah says this concerning God's people. He said in Isaiah 29, verse number 13, The Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips they do honor me, but they've removed me from their heart, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. In other words, they sing, oh, how I love Jesus on the one hand, but on the other hand, they don't even have time to go to church. Mark chapter 7, verse number 6, Jesus seconds this. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. By the way, you think Joseph preached a tough message? You ought to hear some of the messages that Jesus preaches. He used words like hypocrites and 
white-walled sepulchers. So there was an action on behalf of the butler that proved his commitment wasn't what he had uh, what what he had uh, made with his mouth. But then there was the application here. The casualness in Christianity today is a result of forgetting who we are and who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. The casualness in churches is the result of forgetting what the church is. The church is not our place. It's not our club. The Bible tells us it's the house of God. It's the church of the living God. Which is why, even though we live, I understand, we live in a casual society. Everything has become casual today. But I want to tell you something. According to the Word of God, the church ought to be different than our society. Crisis was averted. The commitment was made. The casual response. But number four, I want us to look not only at the carelessness, but number four, let's look at the consequence. What are the consequences of being so casual in our Christianity? What are the consequences of being so careless with our commitments? Well, first of all, let's look at Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 40 ends with Joseph being forgotten by a man who was just too busy to remember him. I'm sure he didn't forget him on purpose. He just was too busy to forget about him. Genesis chapter 41 now, and in verse number 1, gives us the first consequence. The Bible says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years. So Joseph said, remember me. Three days later, the butler's gone. And now two more years passes by. You understand that Joseph wasn't on vacation. He was in prison. And as bad as our jails and our prisons are today, they can't compare to what a prison was in Egypt. In times gone by, these places, they stunk. Oftentimes, they were caves, they were, they were, they were holes. Um, there was no air conditioning, there was no heat, you were cold at night, you were hot during the day. These were awful places. And for two more years, Joseph was in there. So the first consequence is additional suffering. The butler's forgetfulness and selfishness caused Joseph to be in that awful prison for two more years. Now as Christians, when we're casual with our Christianity, it means additional suffering for people who could have received the gospel if we were zealous when it came to sharing that gospel. Think of the suffering that could have been averted had this butler spoken up. And how many people are still suffering in their sins today because Christians forget to live for Jesus because they're too busy? We moan and groan about the condition of our society. But you know that people are suffering because we become so casual, because we become so apathetic, Because we're not doing 
what we ought to do. Not only was there additional suffering, but there was now unnecessary guilt. Look at what this uh, look, look at what this butler says. He says that I uh, I realize my faults this day, and he realized something that he had done wrong. Look at uh, uh, Genesis forty one verse number nine. Genesis 41, verse number 9. The Bible says, Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Now he's feeling guilty about it. Now, what has happened is now Pharaoh has had a dream. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and he tells everyone, I've had this crazy dream, and it's just bothering me. It's keeping me up all night. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what it means. Word comes to the butler, and I'm sure that Pharaoh confided in the butler. Remember, this would be his closest officer. And now, all of a sudden, the butler goes, Oh, my goodness. I, re- I know just what you need. And, man, I've got to apologize. Because this could have been taken care of a long time ago. This should have been taken care of a long time ago. And now he says, boy, I, uh, I, I do remember my faults. It's being brought back to me. You do understand that your apathy in Christ is going to come back. It may come back in your children. When your children are going through it, when they're adults... They don't know Christ as their personal Savior and or they're not in church because you were apathetic and now you realize you've made a mess not only of your own life, you've made a mess of your kid's life. And that ought to make you feel guilty. That ought to make you feel crummy. You ought to get on your knees as this butler did and say, man, now my faults are coming to me. I'm realizing it. I'm realizing what I've done. I have added suffering that was so unnecessary. This butler is remembering Joseph's been in there now for two years. He's been suffering and it's been so unnecessary only because I have been so apathetic. I allowed myself to get so busy, I forgot about the person who helped me out. But not only that, now this butler is going to have to face Joseph. Here's an interesting thing. Joseph was just a fellow prisoner, but Joseph is about to become the second highest ranking official in all the land, which means even the butler is going to have to answer to him. And I wonder what that meeting was like. Well, we know this. Joseph was very gracious and forgiving. But the butler had to face him. You know, Christian... Just because you're saved and on your way to heaven does not mean that you're, that you're free from answering for your apathy. As a matter of fact, Scripture says this, that we are all going to give an account to Jesus. 
that we're all going to come before the judgment seat of Christ one day and give an account for the things that we've done in this body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And I guarantee you the, 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 the excuse Jesus is going to hear more often than not is, well, you know, I just got busy, Lord. I just got busy. Jesus just says, hey, I've saved you. We're going to talk about this in the afternoon service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God has been merciful and because God has been so gracious. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. It's reasonable that God would ask us to remember him when he died for us. He became sin for us. You know, Memorial Day is a day in which we remember those who died in our stead. Let's not forget the greatest sacrifice of all, the Savior who died so we can have eternal life. Don't forget to call upon Him. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior. We're about to have an invitation. He died for you. Don't turn that away. Don't forget to call upon Him. Don't forget to live for Him every day. Don't forget to tell others about Him. Joseph simply said, Think on me when it shall be well with thee. Well, we can sing today. If you know Christ is your Savior, you can sing, It's well with me. It's well with my soul. It's well with my soul because Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for my sins, and I no longer have that burden on me. But when it's well with you, remember him. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed.